Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. I've talked about this phenomenon before when reading a media story that when you really understand the subject matter of any story that you read in the press, you're able to find a number of mistakes. You're able to find like three or four or five mistakes. I remember my grandfather told me that lesson about like essentially any time you are the direct sub. It's a it's a story about subject matter that you yourself know specifically with real detail, you're going to find four or five errors. And evaluating the impact in California of a possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, I think people are making all kinds of mistakes like this. And certainly Gavin Newsom is willing to, you know, engage in various kinds of misstatements. So as an example of this, I'm going to go through this piece from calmatters.org, written by Alexi Kosif. California Democrats lean into abortion rights as, quote, defining issue. And it's all about how the Democrats are trying to make overturning Roe v. Wade the central sort of flagship item of their 2022 midterm election push. Now, I'm going to point out how many things in here are either flat out wrong or I think just misguided. So we'll just go piece by piece through this uh, through this article. When a draft Supreme Court ruling that would overturn the constitutional right to abortion leaked Monday night, Democratic leaders in California reacted swiftly with shock, grief and fury. It didn't take long for the personal devastation to turn political. Yeah, I'm sure they were so personally devastated. Anyway, by Wednesday morning, Governor Gavin Newsom, who is running for re-election this year, had already cut a new campaign ad about reproductive freedom under attack. In a tweet unveiling the ad, he framed defeating anti-choice Republicans as, quote, the defining issue of the 2022 election. As the stark reality has sunk in that the landmark Roe v. Wade decision is unlikely to make it to its 50th birthday, many Democrats are leaning forcefully into abortion rights as a key election issue, with decades of public polling indicating that a majority of Americans believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Um, let's let's hold on. It could be the party's most potent counterweight in a campaign cycle in which Republicans seem poised to capitalize on voter frustration over inflation and crime. So, first of all, what Americans think about abortion is a highly difficult to pin down question. What Americans actually think about abortion is very difficult to pin down, especially when you conflate what specific policies Americans favor when it comes to abortion 
and what Americans say about Roe v. Wade. Those are two very different questions. Often you will hear the same American say this. One, I support Roe v. Wade. Two, I think abortion should only be limited to the first trimester. One and two are actually contradictory. Because Roe v. Wade does not allow you to ban abortion in the second and third trimester. Right? So what we have is massive popular ignorance about what Roe v. Wade actually does. Let me repeat that. We have massive popular ignorance about what Roe v. Wade actually does. People hear Roe v. Wade and they think it kind of means something like, well, some right to abortion should exist. But that's not what Roe v. Wade actually did. Roe v. Wade mandates on all 50 states the most extremely permissive regime of abortion law possible. That abortion must be legal for all nine months of pregnancy for any reason for all 50 states with no ability of state legislatures to ban the practice for any set time frame of the pregnancy. So that's the problem that Democrats are facing is that they can say Americans support Roe v. Wade. But then but but here so, so they can yell Americans support Roe v. Wade. But at the same time when they try to pass legislation like an actual normal law to do all the things Roe v. Wade does It's extremely divisive and not very popular. Why? Because, again, Americans think they like Roe v. Wade, but when you ask them about particulars, it's clear that most Americans don't actually understand what Roe v. Wade does. They don't support the policies Roe mandates. They they just, you know, like the brand name. Okay. Sort of like, I I don't know, it's like saying you like Coca-Cola, but you don't like, you know, carbonated uh, water with caramel coloring and and syrup and like, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's the same thing. Americans just don't understand what Roe v. Wade is. Anyway, let's continue with this tour de force of things that are not quite right. Don't think for a second this is where they stop, Newsom said Wednesday outside Planned Parenthood Los Angeles where he raised the alarm that conservatives would also seek to roll back other rights, such as same-sex marriage. Pay attention, America. They're coming after you next. In his remarks, Newsom called for stronger Democratic counteroffensive on protecting abortion. He slammed Republicans for claiming to be pro-life while opposing policies to provide more support to women and families after a baby is born, previewing a political attack that could soon be coming to swing districts across the country. That's how extreme the Republican Party is in the United States of America. You want extremism? Rape and incest. They don't even make an exception, Newsom said. Wake up, America. Wake up to who you are electing. Let's wake up to whom you are electing. Uh, The rape and incest thing is... Look, there are people who conceive in circumstances of rape. There are people who choose abortion in circumstances of rape. It is an incredibly small percentage of the total number of abortions. When people say to me, well, I'm in favor of abortion because of circumstances like rape or incest, I respond by saying, great, that means we agree on 99% of the abortion issue. 
Let's work on this remaining 1% together. Understand that that's the situation, that, that Democrats trot out the rape and incest exception to make it seem like that's most abortions. The overwhelming majority of abortions, overwhelming majority, are chosen for reasons that have nothing to do with rape or incest. Okay. Furthermore, why we lump rape and incest together, I don't understand. I, I mean, I understand often incest is happening in the context of a non-consensual you know, sexual relationship. But the idea that incest is an automatic, let's abort this kid, is to me as vile as saying, um, well, let's abort a kid who has a disability. Like, just because someone was conceived in an incestual relationship doesn't mean that person therefore lacks human dignity. Yeah, They'll, they might have some kinds of genetic disorder or something that is possible, but that doesn't mean they cease to be a decent, valuable human being who deserves love and care and respect just like anyone else who has any other kind of, you know, disability or what have you. Anyway, I, people tr- throw out rape and incest like so callously that it's sort of like, well, well p- pump the brakes. These are actually two different situations that should be analyzed differently, frankly. Anyway, let's continue. Democrats weighed down by sagging approval ratings for President Joe Biden and in danger of losing control of Congress in the November midterm election have been struggling to find a message that might motivate liberal voters to show up to the polls and persuade moderates to stick with their governance. Jack Pitney, a professor of politics at Claremont McKenna College, said the reality of a Supreme Court ruling against abortion rights could provide a significant boost. This is wish casting. Let's, I'll, I'll explain why. Though warnings about that potential outcome have not historically driven turnout for Democrats, while the Roe decision withstood decades of attacks, Pitney said voters are much more alert to loss. The issue has moved from the realm of the hypothetical to the realm of the real, he said. Let's talk about hypothetical versus real. Okay. One of the things that Justice Alito wrote in this draft opinion of his. One of the things he wrote about was the reliance interests that Americans have in this legal right to abortion. And basically he was looking at the question of whether we should uphold Roe and Casey on the basis of what's called stare decisis, this prudential principle that Supreme Court justices utilize when looking at prior precedent to see whether they should uphold it or not, in which they analyze, well, one of the things they analyze is how much have Americans come to rely on this alleged right? How much have Americans come to rely on, plan on, base their lives, base their business, base their activity around this provision of law? And the thing Alito points out is that the reliance, so-called, that Americans have put in legalized abortion is not a long-term kind of reliance because it's, it's not like you're planning out years of your life around the right to whether or not to abort a child, you're making a decision about whether or not to engage in the activity that leads to the reproduction of a child. You're making that decision 
on an individual day. Okay, it's not like your your decision to have uh, sexual relations with uh, with uh, Brad Smith on uh, you know May seventh, twenty twenty two. It's not like you planned that out on you know uh, January fourteenth of twenty sixteen. Okay, or you know even if you're married to the guy, uh, your individual decisions about when to have intimate relationships that could result in a child. It's not something, the right to abortion is not something that you rely on in the same way as, okay, we've structured our business around this provision of how, uh, you know, Chevron deference has been interpreted for, you know, interpreting this aspect of regulatory law and how the Supreme Court has interpreted this aspect of federal law. Our whole industry has been sort of organized around this and this changing the law Do you see what I'm saying? There's not a ton of reliance that individuals actually have in the right to abortion over the course of a long-term period. It's short-term reliance for a short-term individual situation. So I think that's also why abortion is just not as much of a motivating factor for a lot of Democrat voters as maybe this article thinks. Frankly, I think even a lot of people who, like a lot of people who get abortions feel enormously conflicted about the whole thing. God knows within my movement, I have a number of women who had abortions in their past and deeply regret it. So the idea that there are people who have had, I have had this concrete reliance on abortion and I'm so, I'm, I'm planning out my whole intimate affairs. For, like abortion is like the worst, I mean, if, if you're using abortion as birth control, that's a horrible thing for you in a number of respects. So like, I just don't think there's this huge voting public that has this kind of concrete reliance on abortion in the the way that Democrats sort of think. And, you know, it's a a large subset of women who have had abortions, yes, but within that large subset, there's a lot of women who aren't very politically motivated, who maybe don't even want to think about their abortions, who regret their abortions, who feel conflicted about their abortions, who don't want to think, and a large percentage of Americans don't really like thinking about the abortion issue at all. So this idea that it's going to be this huge motivator for Democrats in November and it's going to jeopardize Republican uh, victories is silly to me. When we return, more about how the media mischaracterizes the impact of abortion in California next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Reading through this piece from CalMatters.org about California's response to the possible uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. And it's the thing of when you know the subject matter of an article really well, you can see all the errors. So let's walk through. I'm not and I'm not totally slamming this article. It's engaging in, you know, some conventional wisdom. So this is Alexi Kossoff writing for CalMatters.org. 
So he's talked about how California Democrats want to use abortion as the issue to motivate voter turnout in 2022, in the November 2022 elections, especially for some congressional races in California that might be close. I am highly skeptical that abortion will be some signature issue to jeopardize uh, Republican victory in 2022. I just don't. And it's astonishing to me the kinds of wussy, moronic Republican strategists who just have this attitude. Oh, talking about abortion's bad. Oh, no. The Republicans are blowing a good 2022 election with this overturning Roe v. Wade nonsense. Like, what, what are they doing? Like, why are we focusing on abortion when, when we can focus on inflation and stuff like that? Well, first of all, it's not like the inflation issue is going to go away. Secondly, th- this is a tail wagging the dog thing for some of these idiot re- loser Republican strategists. The point of politics is to accomplish your policy goals. You don't sacrifice your policy goals for the sake of getting more people elected. You get people elected for the sake of the policy goals. We've been trying to overturn Roe v. Wade for 50 years, for 49 years, rather. Like, the idea that we would let, oh, oh, people might view it politically unfavorably. Okay, (laughs) that's all right. You know what? Obamacare wasn't popular when it was passed. A bunch of Democrats lost their seats in the next midterm after it passed. But you know what? They moved the ratchet. They moved the country, and the ratchet usually only goes one way. They accomplished the goal. It was worth the sacrifice of their majority to pass Obamacare for them. One, I don't believe it's actually going to make us lose in 22, because for one thing, I think it's going to motivate pro-lifers even more to turn out, who are a huge, important part of the Republican base that needs to get turned out. But secondly, even if it were, it's worth it. Anyway, let's continue. Abortion could remain near the top of the news through the rest of the year, with the official opinion expected this summer. Okay, well, it's expected in June, and the elections are in November. So, you know, it's, it's four and a half months. And then potentially dozens of states passing new abortion restrictions after that. It's kind of like a wildfire, and the burning embers and debris will spread over the electorate for months to come, Pitney said. Still, it is uncertain how much of a difference abortion can make for Democrats, thank you, who are facing significant political headwinds nationally from pocketbook issues such as spiraling inflation and high gas prices. While probably not potent enough to shift the balance of power, Pitney said abortion could move the margins in close races with national implications, such as the contests for U.S. Senate in Georgia and Wisconsin. Some Republicans are already planning to push for a nationwide abortion ban. Good. Should the GOP win complete control of the federal government in the next few years? The ruling, Pitney added, might also help Democrats regain some ground with young voters who have particularly soured on Biden. Okay, so this is the thing. There's always this conventional wisdom that abortion is bad. The abortion issue being front and center is bad for Republicans. But people don't think about the circumstances. All right. This is the circumstance of Republicans winning at something, okay? If, if this draft opinion by Alito holds, and God, I hope it does, okay. Republicans have won. Democrats have lost. 
Democrats in Congress, while having razor thin majorities in both houses of Congress and the White House, will be able to do nothing. Okay, they want to pass a bill to allegedly codify Roe v. Wade. It's actually slightly worse than that. They want to pass a bill to codify Roe v. Wade, and they don't have the votes to do it. They don't have the horses to do it. They can't. They don't have the votes to abolish the filibuster in the Senate. They don't even have the votes to pass this codification bill of Roe v. Wade. So it's not going to happen. And you're supposed to think that Democrat voters are going to be enthusiastic, like, energized by this? I mean, wouldn't they be enormously depressed? Wouldn't they be enormously frustrated at the Democrat Party? Isn't there just as much of a chance that Democrat vote turnout will be depressed because they'll think these Democrats can't win, that they're losing? Don't you think there could be a shift in some national opinion? Don't you think maybe Republican leaning pro-life voters would be energized more because now their state elections matter from an abortion perspective. Like there's just this very conventional thinking on the part of media types that no, if, if the abortion debate is there, it's, it's going to be bad for Republicans. I just don't believe it. Like I could see, like to say, oh, the U.S. Senate rates in Georgia, maybe abortion will, uh, you know, abortion could uh, impact that. Georgia is not some like pro-choice state. Even a lot of Democrat voters in Georgia lean pro-life. All right, how many African American voters are there in Georgia who are Democrats but are at least moderate on abortion, if not pro-life? All right, a lot of African-American Christians are professedly pro-life. Why would they why would they be dissuade why would they be turned off to Republicans because of this? And pro-life voters in Georgia would be I think energized. Pro-life voters in Wisconsin, I think would be energized. And again, Democrat voters in Wisconsin, it's not like they're all a bunch of like you know, your Democrat voter in Wisconsin is like a union guy who lives in Milwaukee, who goes to St. Stanislaus Catholic Church. I mean, he th- these are not like, you know, pink hair, you know, radicals or something. You really think that, you know, you really think Bob Kozanski, who goes to St. Stanislaus Parish? Wait, which St. Stanislaus do you go to there, Bob? Is it St. Stanislaus Koska or St. Stanislaus Martyr? Oh, it's Koska. Were you were you there at the fish fry back during Lent? Yeah. You think those guys are like, you know, my body, my choice. Get your rosaries off my ovaries. No. They're union doofuses. Cuz they've been and they've been voting Democrat because their grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather before him have voted Democrat. Do you think those guys are upset at the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Their wives probably pray the rosary at 40 days for life every, you know, every year. So anyway, this is a wild, (laughs) this is probably a wild caricature of your average, of your Democrat voting base in Wisconsin. Anyway, probably a lot of those guys have already become Republicans. I should, I should, I should probably, you know, stop with this nonsense. Anyway, 
The point I'm saying is that this idea that abortion politics is just nuclear, it's always going to be bad for Republicans. I bet Republicans are going to kick so much butt in November of 22. It's The left is going to be just absolutely catatonic. When we return. All right, we're going to stop talking about abortion for at least one segment here. We're going to talk about high-speed rail and the standoff between Gavin Newsom and Democrats in the California State Assembly next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. There's a big struggle happening with regard to high-speed rail right now. It's between the governor and the Democrats in the state assembly uh, about funding and who's controlling the funding and just the future of the high-speed rail project. So I don't need to go into all the gory details about why high-speed rail is dumb. I think most of you understand it right now. It is wildly over budget. It is wildly behind schedule. It is plagued by all kinds of waste and spending on consultant after consultant after consultant. Uh, We've been building and building and building. We have zero inches of working track. Governor Newsom himself kind of waved the white flag on the whole thing when he took over as governor in January 2019. Um by basically trying to limit the scope of the project for let's just get a Bakersfield to Merced line complete so that we can demonstrate the, quote, viability of the high-speed rail project. Funny how Democrats talk about the viability of the high-speed rail project and the viability in, uh, of unborn children and abortions. That If we haven't reached viability yet, can't we just abort, you know, totally legally in California? I mean, why not? All right. Anyway, let's let's move on. So Gavin Newsom is has himself tried to manage expectations about this whole thing, but is still sort of pushing along. He says, well, if we can get this Bakersfield to Merced line done, it can show the viability of the broader system. To which some people have responded, are you crazy? Like, Bakersfield to Merced, these are, you know, it's not exactly like the biggest population centers in California here that we're connecting um, this is not a particularly transformative thing to allow people in Fresno to get uh, slightly more quickly from Fresno to Bakersfield, but then you get to Bakersfield and what are you going to do? Walk? It's not like you don't need that. You need to rent a car in Bakersfield, get an Uber immediately from wherever the train drops you off. Like, what is this accomplishing here? So it's not like this is some transformative thing for the Valley. Also, the idea that it demonstrates the viability of the whole system. Look, uh, Bakersfield to Merced is just about the flattest, least complicated stretch you could have engineering-wise, I'd imagine, because you don't have to go over any mountains. You don't have to go over the San Andreas Fault. So I'm not sure how that demonstrates the viability of the broader system that accomplishing the absolute easiest stretch of it, the cheapest stretch of it, as far as assessing environmental impacts, as far as eminent domain seizures, this is where 
you know, the, the government's working on a project. They see they can seize a chunk of land for you know, expanding a road or building a railroad or something as long as they pay the owner of the property, the fair market value of the property. Well, that often gets tied up in litigation as the owner of the property says, uh, you're undervaluing my property. I think my property is valued at this. Okay, that can often get tied up in litigation and costs and wrangling and time delays and, you know, being expensive. So if you think the eminent domain issues Bakersfield to Merced are bad, wait till you try to get this train into the heart of San Francisco. You know, good luck. So (laughs) the cost of the train over time has gone from like, 40 billion to now the estimate is uh, based on 2019 numbers not accounting for inflation not accounting for increased uh, costs for all these different things not accounting for you know all the various increases in costs we've seen across the board the the price tag is now 105 billion dollars $105 billion for this high-speed rail train, for which $10.3 billion has been spent so far. The t- 100, so this piece in Cal Matters about it is written by R- Ralph Vardabedian, who's been actually a really great reporter covering this stuff. He writes, California Democrats are locked in one of the most consequential disputes in modern state history over the future of the Los Angeles to San Francisco high-speed rail project after a decade of troubled construction. The $105 billion bullet train project, for which $10.3 billion has been spent so far, would be the largest single investment in state history, the most ambitious civil works effort in the nation, and now a symbol to many experts of how not to build a railroad, all of which define the stakes in the current impasse. The feud has festered for 16 months since Governor Gavin Newsom asked the legislature for a $4.2 billion appropriation in early 2021. The request has triggered a standoff with Assembly Democrats, who have steadfastly refused to hand over the last remaining funds from a 2008 bond measure for high-speed rail. The battle involves who will exert control over the project's future, how to improve its efficiency, and how the remaining funds can yield the greatest benefits, which involve sharp disagreements that could be difficult to resolve. The project is not proceeding according to a robust plan, which results in waste and other inefficiencies, said Blent excuse me, said Bent Flievbjerg, a business expert in megaprojects at the University of Oxford's Said Business School and IT University of Copenhagen. All right, I'm going to uh, read this in a comically Nordic accent because I believe that's uh, this person's background. Given the political divisions, the cost growth, the schedule... Okay, I'll just read it normally. Given the political divisions, the cost growth, the schedule delays, and the lack of a sound future revenue source, this project is going to the graveyard of famous boondoggles. Proponents of high-speed rail dispute such grave characterizations, asserting the project is solid. The naysayers are always going to be naysayers, said Ray LaHood, U.S. Transportation Secretary under Barack Obama, and a crusader for high-speed rail. A crusader. Is that like an actual job title? You're a crusader for high-speed rail? There's construction underway. Now, this quote here, listen to this, because this is a classic trope for the pro-high-speed rail crowd. There's construction underway. Hundreds of people are working on the project and have good-paying jobs. There's a plan now to go to Bakersfield. The future is very encouraging. It hasn't stopped. Okay. 
this is a, a, a classic Democrat thing for public works projects to talk about it as if it's a jobs program. How dare you uh, criticize high-speed rail? Look at all the good-paying jobs it's producing. All right. The good-paying jobs are being funded by our taxpayer dollars. Okay? So, like, it's a... It's not kind of the same as like, oh, we had investment, created new opportunities. Like, like, okay, this is this is taxpayer jobs being siphoned to pay for this. Okay, so, okay, that's one thing. Secondly, the point of the high speed rail project is not to be a jobs program. It's to build a train. All right. Yeah, I guess it's fine as an incidental benefit that a bunch of people have gainful, meaningful employment. That's fine. But these are contractors who would have work otherwise also, okay? It's, it's not like these are, you know, this is not like a situation where it's hobos on the street, you know, shuffling along with their hands in their pockets. Oh, woe is me. Would that I could find work, dignified work for myself. And all of a sudden, a guy in a hard hat from the state of California comes and says, we're building a railroad. Come with us. That's not what's happening. These are contractors. These are guys who already have jobs who now just are being paid by our taxpayer dollars to work on another project, okay? So, uh, you know, yeah, okay, those construction companies ultimately have to hire more people, perhaps, in order to meet up with the demand. But, like, the, the idea that this is, oh, we're, we're creating all these new jobs. Well, are you 100% creating new jobs? Like, what, what, what exactly is, is happening here? Like, anyway, it, it, I, I just hate talking about a public works project from the perspective of, well, it's creating all these jobs. Like, the Fresno Bee has criticized, uh, I don't know if it's the Bee itself or maybe columnists or something, but when... Um, when Jim Patterson, for example, is critical of high-speed rail, people will say, oh, but it's employing all these people in his district. It's like, all right, that's wonderful that it employs people, but that's not the purpose of the project. The purpose of the project is purportedly to build a train. It's not to, you know, it's not to employ construction workers. Like, again, it's an incidental benefit, but that's not the main thing. All right, the legislative standoff. What's happening? Serious problems remain unresolved in the Central Valley, and new issues with utility relocations along the future tracks are again holding up construction. The Rail Authority estimated in 2008, when voters approved $9 billion for the system, that it could cost $33 billion and start running by 2020. <laughs> so we're, we're a mere $70 billion over budget, and what, what do you think, guys, about a, a decade behind schedule? But slow land purchases, delays in environmental documents, employee turnover, and litigation over the last 14 years keep putting the goal further out of reach. There is no confidence in the project, said Speaker Anthony Rendon, a Los Angeles Democrat. And that's key. I'll explain that in a sec. We had an end date of 2020, and now we don't have an end date. The latest estimate made earlier this year set the cost at $105 billion. The new price tag is based on some estimates made in 2019, not accounting for the spurt of inflation in construction materials and labor. According to the Legislative Analyst's Office, the nonpartisan advisor to the legislature, the risk is that the real cost is still not known. All right, when we return, I'm going to discuss the regional sort of fault lines in this whole argument. Why folks from Los Angeles are not as enthused about this whole thing as folks from the Bay Area. Next on The John Girardi Show.
The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Anthony Rendon, the Democrat speaker in the California Assembly, is feuding with Gavin Newsom over the future of the high-speed rail project. Rendon thinks the existing plan just needs to be blown up, that we're so far over budget. We went from the high-speed rail project costing like $33 billion and being operational in 2020. That was the estimate in 2008. Now it's 2022. We don't have one inch of workable track, and the estimates are $105 billion. And that's based on 2019 numbers. It's not accounting for inflation. So what's going on here? Why, why is there this inter-Democrat fighting? I think the fight is between Bay Area folks and Los Angeles folks. Bay Area Democrats and Los Angeles Democrats. Let me explain. Gavin Newsom and Jerry Brown, Bay Area guys, not Los Angeles guys. Anthony Rendon, the Speaker of the Assembly, Los Angeles guy. Southern California has more representation in the legislature than Northern California does. It has more population. Just very flat out simply true. So here's the problem. High-speed rail was really never about benefiting Los Angeles that much. The chief benefit of the high-speed rail project is for people who live in the Bay Area. It's so that white-collar Bay Area professionals can live farther and farther and farther away from the Bay Area to avoid Bay Area housing costs. You can, if you have high-speed rail and you're in some white-collar profession where you really only need to come into the office maybe once a week or twice a week, well, yeah, you can get a house in Madeira and work in, you know, get a house in Madeira for your job in San Francisco, you know, zoom in four days a week, work remotely for four days a week, take the high-speed rail up once a week. And then instead of, you know, the... The $600,000 in San Francisco, which would buy you like a small closet, $600,000 in Madeira, you get a nice big house. That's been the benefit of high-speed rail this whole time. I don't think it really benefits Los Angeles. You take a high-speed rail train somewhere in L.A., what are you going to do? You immediately need to rent a car, okay? San Francisco is more enclosed. They have the BART system. They have better options for public transportation in the Bay Area. Like San Francisco is a an East Coast kind of, you know, small small surface area, small, you know, square footage city. So it made it always made more sense. So if you're going to tell these LA Democrats, well, let's just get this Central Valley stretch of rail completed. They're like, why are we going to pay to get this stretch from Bakersfield to Merced done to, quote, demonstrate the viability of the project? We're not even going over mountains. We're not even going over a fault line. Why do we want to spend all this money to facilitate, you know, really fast travel from Bakersfield to Merced? It's not benefiting us in L.A. 
That's the heart of this dispute, I think, is this regional difference in interest. That'll do it for John Girardi Show. We'll see you next time on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. 